0: Welcome in to the and audibles podcast. I'm my premier Eric Scopel on the show as always. And today we bring on our guest. Uh, We've got Jackson Moore from Hawaii rainbow warriors uh, sports network on the site. Uh, Jackson. Thanks for coming on the show, man. Really appreciate your opportunity to, to talk with you get to know this Hawaii team. Who's already played three games this season.
1: Yeah. Thanks very much for having me on. I
0: appreciate it. Um, Let's start with the head coach and the overall big picture discussion of this Hawaii team. Timmy Chang was brought in um, when the program was in a dark place. Um, Just kind of what have you seen since his arrival, the changes that made the fan base's reaction to one of their legends coming back home and coaching this program?
1: Yeah, it got real ugly with Todd Graham at the end and, the timing was very frustrating as well because he didn't finally part ways till kind of mid-January after that 2021 season. And Timmy Chang comes in with like 10 days before signing day. And uh, he had lost basically every meaningful star player on that UH team from 21, which was still pretty talented team had already hit the portal. And most of those guys ended up at power five schools. So it just felt like that first year was a total wash and whatever he could do to, just kind of fixed the culture was going to be a win. And he did do that to a a large degree. Um, They made a big effort recruiting at home, which has been very successful this year. They've got like six local commits, guys that they don't normally get there uh, that would normally be going to the mainland. Um, uh, There's just an overall better vibe around the team. At the same time, it's still a very large rebuild. They didn't have a huge portal success this last off season when he really had his first full off season to do something with the roster. It didn't feel like they took a huge jump. Um, The stadium is a mess right now with Aloha stadium being condemned and they did up their current venue to 15,000 seats. And it's not a place to watch a game by any means, but not nearly what Aloha stadium was uh, for such a long time. So it's kind of a mixed bag where it feels like they can only go up, but it would be nice if it went up a little faster. Thanks
2: again, Jackson, for joining us. And longtime listeners will re- recognize you. You also cover Cal, Stanford, Fresno State. You've been on probably nine of these podcasts or so, I would guess. So, and this is the first of three. We should note we'll be back here when Oregon plays Stanford later this month. When Oregon plays Cal later this season, so you're going to get to see a lot of this. Uh, 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 I guess aside from the two of us and Jared, you're probably the most frequent guests we've had on here. So appreciate your time again. Um, I wanted to like ask just the Timmy Chang part is so interesting because it's pretty unique that you see somebody who was like probably arguably the biggest star in school history. And he's the, I think he's number two on the schools on the the national um, passes lit passing list um, in NCAA history. He he held that record for a couple of years, but for someone like that to go back to their alma mater and and lead the program doesn't happen every day Um, to the fans. Love him, and does he have a little bit of an extra leash because of his kind of career? This would be from an Oregon fan perspective. Of like, Marcus Mariota was Oregon's football coach. Like, I would imagine the fans would probably have a little longer leash. They're they're four and twelve so far under Timmy. Is is that the case? Like, do you think fans will just kind of accept that this is going to take some time, and that, that he's kind of a legendary guy, or or what's kind of been the vibe you get from from their fan base?
1: Yeah, um, even with that, there's some interesting marks just because when the job became available, June Jones made it known that he wanted it. And I mean, he fled Hawaii to the Sugar Bowl. (laughs) So the fact that the administration didn't seem to really seriously consider that and went straight to Chang was not all that well received. So coming in at first, there was some of that kind of bubbling underneath, but Chang is very well loved on the islands. He's from there. And I think that's been big too, because he's the head coach and a lot of his staff has a a heavy Polynesian background and it's been very well received with recruits there. And I think that it's been a great representation and um, I think people realize this is a long rebuild. Maybe some people that would think that June Jones might've kickstarted it a little faster still understand that Timmy Chang there. I mean, he was, most recently a tight ends receivers coach at a Mountain West school, so it's a big leap from where he was to being a head coach. I think it's kind of similar to what Brent Brennan has done at San Jose State where first couple of years were pretty bad. Even the third year, you know, still wasn't bowl eligible, and now he's kind of got that thing rolling a little bit to where Spartan fans can be proud. And, you know, I think UH fans hope that with the portal and other aspects that it could happen faster, but I think they realize it's probably going to take a couple years for this to be a real competitive team, and um, he's well-liked, but uh, it's just not going to happen overnight with with what he inherited there. Jackson, you brought up
0: something I just completely forgot about because Oregon plays in Hawaii next season, and you brought up Aloha Stadium being condemned. Um, Can you just give us an idea of what are they doing right now and just kind of what's the path forward to finding a permanent home? Is where they're playing now where Oregon fans should expect to be at next season?
1: Yeah, that will be the case. So um, once Aloha Stadium was condemned, I mean, why is the biggest thing in town as far as sports go. So it's not like there was any alternative venue. Uh, so where they're at, playing at right now is the Clarence T.C. Ching Athletics Complex. It was their track and field stadium, which – has a grandstand of about 3,000 with a press or like some uh, concessions and some basic things. And they were able to build about 7,000 more seats around it for the last two years for a 10,000 seat venue. And then they put in 5,000 more this off season. They were able to grab the video scoreboard from Aloha Stadium and move it across the island to the campus and get that put up. So... Um, I don't think there's going to be any major changes from now to next season. The ultimate goal is Aloha Stadium 2.0, which is like earmarked for like 300 million by the state to get that done with the whole extra district around it. Um, But that's not till 2028. So uh, this is uh, probably about as good as it's going to get for the program for a few years. And, you know, that, that date keeps getting pushed back farther and farther. So uh, I think there's some thought that, this could be permanent. Um, at least they kind of have to operate that way if the state doesn't come through and, and get Aloha Stadium done with.
2: Wow. Yeah, that's fascinating. And, and if you're a Hawaii football fan, that's probably like both kind of frustrating but maybe exciting if it does come together next later on this decade. Um, back to Chang, because I just find this to be such a compelling part. And obviously through the ball all over the place as a college player very prolific as a passer. Is that sort of what the offense is? Like, is that when you put on a Hawaii football game and Oregon plays Hawaii this Saturday, I imagine you're expecting like they might throw it 45 times and run it eight times. Like, is that sort of – you might have all the data in front of you. I don't know. But, like, is, is this kind of version of Hawaii football match his personality?
1: Yes and no from the fact that when he was there playing – the run and shoot was just so unique. I mean, the way that they were throwing the ball, the concepts they used, the way that they mixed in the run and the draw and this bizarre shovel pass that seemed to always work when they threw it. And it feels like all those kind of unique things are not a part of this. Um, it's coach Chang came in last year and basically installed more of a basic air raid, uh, which you see all over the place. And it's now called the run and shoot this year, but, It just doesn't feel like the run and shoot that we've seen at times. They're using tight ends, which is something you wouldn't have one tight end on a run and shoot offense. In most cases on the roster, even Um, they are running the ball more frequently when they can. Um, The passing game is more emphasized this year than it was last year, but not overly. So, I mean, last week they threw it 40 times. They ran it 37 times in a game that was close all the way till the end against Albany. So, um, But I would expect that because of what they're facing in Oregon, it's probably going to look more like what they had against Stanford, which resulted in negative five rushing yards, and they were forced to pass it all day long. So I think in this particular game, it probably will be by necessity be 70% passing perhaps. But uh, that's not exactly what Chang is installing here, even though you would think he would be more of what uh, Hawaii has traditionally been.
2: The quarterback i I actually when I was watching i I watched both parts of both their games against power five teams Vanderbilt and Stanford and braden shager guy's got a really impressive arm like he can throw the football that part's not missing and I imagine that's a nice marriage with what some of what timmy wants to do receivers there's some guys out there um Ashlock and mcbride both have had some really big games what's what impresses you most with this pass attack and and I guess maybe I'm answering it for you but they are a little bit turnover prone. I think five interceptions in three games is, is that the biggest concern with an offense that maybe is this aggressive throwing it down the field in particular?
1: Yeah, you know, I've been impressed that Braden Shager's been able to do what he has been able to do this year. I I did not think he was going to be a very effective run and shoot quarterback to throw the ball that much. Um, Did not have huge games last year. I think he eclipsed 300 yards like one time and you're basically expected to, cross 300 every game in this type of offense that they're running now. Um, but he, he's exceeded my expectations early on. He's shown a lot of improvement. You know, last year they brought in two transfers and he beat them both out. They weren't great transfers or, you know, they didn't play all that well when they were in there, but uh, he did beat them out and they didn't go out and get anyone else this year. So they've really gone all in and um, the receiving targets, Ashlock and McBride have been great all three games. You know, they're, you got one McBride as a Kansas transfer. Ashlock's a red shirt freshman walk on, I believe. Like it kind of came wow. out of nowhere. <laughs> and uh, I mean, it, it wasn't like they just played great at Vanderbilt. Or, I mean, they've been great all three games. So uh, expect a heavy dose of those two. And uh, the rest of the on kind of weird. There's been some weapons that were big last year that haven't played a whole lot this year. Some of them came back against Albany. Some of them had lesser roles against Albany. So uh, besides Shager, Ashlock and McBride, it's really uh, – kind of a guessing game as to how else the other guys are going to contribute. Uh,
0: Shifting to the defense here, um, 22 tackles for loss this season. That's top five in the country. Um, I think they're defensive backs are creating a lot of pass breakups and they have 11 total this season that's already a high number um 3 games or not compared to most teams playing two just what are your thoughts on this defense who are the guys to know on this defense uh, that, that are creating some kind of havoc out there i'm not trying to say they're 85 bears but they're
1: they're they're creating you know disruptive plays here yeah, you know, the defense, there's a lot more continuity on that side of the ball. Um, they're back with the same scheme, so 4-2-5, and um, about seven, eight starters are back from last year's team. Um, I mean, last year, or this year's offense has four new starters on the O-line, so it's kind of night and day from the two sides of the ball. And uh, on defense, they were able to plug in a couple of transfers in those question mark spots, which... Had worked out well other than Cam Stone, the cornerback transfer from Wyoming, getting injured. I don't think he's going to be available on this one, which is a big blow. Um, but overall, um, I mean, Logan Taylor has been huge for them. He was a guy that was a junior college recruit like four years ago with COVID and red shirts and everything and um, didn't really do much until about halfway through last season. And now he's been like a 10 tackle, a guy game out of nowhere. <laughs> um, Peter Manuma has been... Uh, another one of their guys that has put up a lot of tackles. Um, Isaiah Tufanga is an Oregon State transfer. He's a big part of the defense at linebacker. The cornerbacks are both power five transfers. And so on paper, you know, it's it's a pretty decent Mountain West defense, and it's a lot of guys that were um, experienced from last season that are in year two, two in this scheme. And they did retain some of what they were doing defensively before Coach Tengar, so – it feels like the defense is in a pretty decent spot on paper. It's just not a over-the-top great unit, or you know, a lot doesn't have a ton of game changers. But it's, there's not a lot of weak spots here either. Uh, most of the weak spots are depth. Maybe there's not a lot of big guys on the second team defensive line, or you know, the next layer of linebackers and defensive backs that they may need if they suffer some injuries this year.
2: Yeah, I think when you think about Polynesian football players, you oftentimes think about the trenches. And you think about a school like Hawaii, obviously, with the kind of the pipeline there. Are they as strong up front on both sides as you would expect they would be? Oregon is, I think, obviously defensively, their strength is their defensive front. Offensively, I think there's some question marks along the offensive line, just because it's similar, very similar to Hawaii. They're basically at four new starters. Um, has that been a strength? or What have you seen from that group? Are they? You know, I guess, again, maybe I'm stereotyping, but just the size, is it are these bigger-bodied players there in the trenches, or, or is this kind of a, a different type of group? How, how would you kind of classify them, I guess?
1: Yeah, I think on the offensive side of the ball, there's just so many new starters in there that it's going to take some time to gel, and for those guys to get experience, they're not undersized by any means, but not a lot of experience there. Again, four seniors departing from last year's team on the O-line, and uh, only one transfer is in there to fill that spot so some guys that haven't played a lot of football are young um, that weren't necessarily big time recruits or anything like that the defensive line's a lot older um that for especially the first team i would say is a lot stronger Uh, they don't have a lot of depth behind them but they have a pretty decent mountain west defensive front and the one guy that really stands out is a solo on the offensive side of the ball uh, you're going to see him in number zero. He's been an offensive lineman there for the last few seasons. Did not claim a starting spot this year. And they're using him as like a running back at times and <laughs> doing some really weird things with him. So uh, he is the uh, the one guy that maybe will fit the description when you're thinking, what the heck is that guy doing out there in that spot with that size?
0: <laughs> well, it's funny as I was looking at like the, the stats for Career starts and whatnot, and he's got like thirty or forty career starts to his name already, and he doesn't start anymore. Is Mm -hmm. there a reason behind that? Like, what what did they see there?
1: Yeah, um, tough to say. You know, he's kind of been in and out a little bit over the years, and um, but with the team that doesn't have much experience, you would assume a guy like that would be in there. Right. I don't know if he's maybe slimmed down a little bit to be in this role. If that's what he really wanted to do, I don't know. I think he was bigger in past years, but. I have to say, I think he's having a lot of fun. It's just that package isn't used a whole lot, but when it it is used, it's pretty interesting. Kind of passed like 10, 15 yards and should have had a touchdown in uh, the opener.
0: Yeah. I can't wait to see it. I I think I've mentioned on the podcast now two two or three times, um, zero who's like a six foot two, 280 pound offensive (laughs) lineman playing running back. It's pretty cool. Funny, interesting bunch of ways to describe that. Um, (laughs) What's the health of this team coming in? You know, Oregon has a couple guys that are that are dealing with some injuries. Justin Jacobs, Shad Strohler, two guys that we felt like were probably starter caliber guys. Beginning of the year have yet to play. Um, they just got Evan Williams back from an injury of safety from Fresno State. Um, Hawaii, what what's what's the health of this team coming in? Do, do we know? Are they
1: close to full strength? You know, for the most part, the the real big red flag is Camstone, who was an all mountain West cornerback at Wyoming and left there and came to Hawaii from seeing the same conference. That was a big pickup for them. Not only was he their top cornerback, but he was also returning kicks and punts. And it seems like that was probably what was his undoing with an injury (laughs) against Stanford. So, um, I would be surprised if he's good to go. That's the main one that is that I'm aware of. Um, Again, there's been some weird things with the lineup. Jordan Johnson and uh, Najee Bryant, Uh those two guys led the team in rushing last week and they didn't play at all the first two weeks and they weren't described as being injured players. I know Jalen Walthall is a fan favorite who had a touchdown last week and uh, he has been healthy but not in the lineup. So weird things kind of going on on the offense, but um, defensively, the Camstone one's the one that's troublesome.
0: What are the matchups right now that you're just kind of curious to see play out, whether it's a, a positive one for Hawaii, like, hey, they could really take advantage of this because this guy's really good. Or is it a, is there a guy that you're just really worried about matching up with Oregon and, you know, whether it's offense or defense?
1: That's probably in general the O-line. Just We, we already saw with Stanford they could not generate much of – and I mean, they had negative five rushing yards in that game. And Braden Shager was under pressure the majority of the day, and if that happens against Oregon, there's just no shot. Uh, the passing game is just not overly strong to be that one-dimensional. Uh, as seen against Albany, a game where that was tight, and that they ran what they wanted to run for four quarters, it was almost totally balanced between the pass and the run. Um, so that's ideally what they want to be if they can, but. Um, yeah, if they can't block, I mean, they're going to have to throw the ball a lot. There's going to probably be some turnovers. There's going to be some three and outs. And that's when these types of games distance themselves quicker than teams like Hawaii would hope. So I think that's the biggest key.
2: Usually we send you out with the guest asking about three things that Oregon's opponent must do to win. Um, I'm going to frame it around like a competitive result because as 38-point favorites, it would be really surprising if Oregon didn't win. I don't know if that's a result anyone's really – prepared for. Uh, but what are some things like I, I usually ask for three, but what are some things that you think are key for, for Hawaii to keep this game competitive, to stay in the game? Or, or do you think that's not a possibility?
1: Um, I mean, I'm not expecting it. You know, you hope that it's not a, a floodgate situation where it happens all at once. You know, hopefully I think if you're Hawaii, you just hope to keep it as competitive as possible and die a slow death and, uh, just getting rushed right out of the gates. Um, I think that if they can again, hold their own in the trenches on the O-line that it's gonna make the offense a lot more formidable. And that um, I think they will regardless, make a few plays. They've got some explosive players, but can they stay on the field and get in rhythm and sustain drives? I don't know if they're gonna do that. That's a big key for them to just make this game competitive and defensively uh, kind of the same. I mean, don't give up the big plays if they're well equipped to do that. I don't think they quite have the talent in the secondary to avoid that uh, with the types of receivers that Oregon has. Um, The front seven, again, not a bad Mountain West group, but it's going to be overmatched quite a bit. So uh, if they can make Oregon kind of drive down the field and take some time up, and keep it close. They're giving up the big 70, 80-yard touchdowns, and it's going to get away from them quickly, of course.
0: Jackson, thanks for coming on the show, man. We really appreciate your time to give us some insight into Hawaii. And uh, as I said at the beginning of the show, I'm sure we'll talk to you here in a couple weeks when Oregon heads down to Stanford.
1: Uh, Thanks again for having me. I appreciate it.
2: Thanks, Jackson.